everyone. Thank you for listening to this Youth Mental Health Podcast with the Northern Trust. My name's James Nelson. I'm a psychiatrist in the Trust, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my friend and colleague, Mr. Stephen Weir. Stephen, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, good morning, James. Thanks for inviting me along. Uh, my name's Stephen Weir. I am a CAMS practitioner and a CBT therapist in CAMS. Um, great to see you. Thank you. And you and I talk about OCD often, so I'm looking forward to our conversation today. And uh, the title of our podcast is Understanding My Child with OCD. And I suppose we're thinking particularly today of parents or carers uh, whose young person is struggling with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, And just right from the start, Stephen, I'll get a quick definition out of the way so that people uh, know what we're talking about, if that's all right with you, Stephen. Mm so we're, when we're talking about OCD, we're talking about obsessions, which are thoughts and ideas that can go round and round somebody's mind. And we're thinking about compulsions, which are an urge to do something. And again, these can go round and round and be repetitive and unpleasant and distressing and get in the way of life and often not make a lot of sense to a person. So um, can you live with that as a definition, Stephen? Does that sound about right? Perfect. <laughs> You're very kind. Um, and maybe just to start with, Stephen, um, I know you'd wanted to mention about misconceptions or maybe myths around OCD. People can at times have the wrong idea about it. Do you, do you want to kick off there? Yes, James, thanks for that introduction. Um, for me, the, the common misconception uh, about OCD is that this idea that things are kind of like people who, who like things neat and tidy and do things in a certain way, and they're kind of perfectionists. Uh, names like David Beckham come to mind who um, I remember reading some time ago where he, he had set up his cooked tins and they all have to be facing the same way um, and then you have the likes of Nadal uh, Rafael Nadal being a tennis fan you would see him on the tennis court and he puts everything a certain way and perhaps maybe that he thinks that's going to bring him luck in some sense of uh, or some form but for OCD and young people it's it's very not like that. It's very, in fact, it's very distressing for young people and for parents who are listening to this, they'll know uh, what their child um, will be suffering. Um, so you talked about obsessions in, in relation to thoughts. We can all have bad thoughts. Um, these, the kind of thoughts that pop into our head um, that we might treat as being unusual or a bit strange or maybe even repulsive, but we generally can let these kind of thoughts go but for a young person with OCD, these thoughts get stuck. They get stuck in their head and they're usually that something bad could happen, often something catastrophic. Um, and this can lead to them feeling very anxious. Um, when I talk about anxiety, I talk about tension in the chest, their heart racing, something that feels very real to them. And then and that would be your kind of obsession and it kind of just grows and it becomes this kind of like ongoing worry for them around this thought. And then the second part of that is that they then feel that they have to do something to avert this bad thing or this tragedy from happening. Uh, and often just to reduce the feeling of the anxiety that they're actually experiencing. Uh, and this is where we go into compulsions. So compulsions can be in a variety of ways. Uh, young people can be, they can check, they can do rituals, they can tap, they can touch. And this is really about trying to avert the, the bad thought that they've had. So for these young people with OCD, it really isn't about things looking nice or being tidy or being done in a certain way for the sake of, you know, aesthetics. This often uh, for young people with OCD can be a matter of life or death. Yes, um, that's a sobering reminder, Stephen, that at times day to day we use the term OCD in, in a light way. 
uh, and you're reminding us i think that this could be very very distressing for young people um extremely so um thank you for that and and then uh, just to think what this could look like in the life of a young person what what um what sort of examples can can you think of from your experience Stephen? what, what does it look like when ocd is is taking hold yeah, um, the common types that maybe most people have been familiar with is the like hand washing. Um, and they see their young person, the parent might see a young person, you know, going through a lot of soap, washing their hands repetitively um, and not understand why they're doing this. Uh, but for the young person, when you get into their thinking around why they're hand washing, um, it can be really quite sinister and, and distressing for them. So generally it goes something like if they get, germs uh, on their hands or on their body in some way they might then pass these germs on to the people that they love um, i.e. their parents and if these germs get passed on to the parents their parents could get sick is generally what they say but then when you when you explore it a little bit further it really boils down to that they could actually kill their parents accidentally through germs and and as a result of that they then start to notice germs everywhere or the potential of germs germs everywhere. And so as a result, they'll be wash, over washing their hands. I worked by a young person who would wash his hands before he even got into the shower to wash. So he'd be washing himself with clean hands. And this then leads to kind of, it looks kind of like odd behaviour. So they might then be opening, they might potentially see germs on door handles, on tabletops, um, on their clothes even and they might use their their jumper to open doors and it just becomes it just looks uh, can look r ridiculous and very awkward for the young person um, and that would be where your compulsions come in so the thought would be that something bad's going to happen uh, they're the cause of that bad thing and the compulsions is the actual then trying to avoid or doing all these rituals to avoid the the spread of germs and at times, Stephen, isn't it that the the worry out, outcome uh, could be something totally unrelated to what they're doing? I know in that example you're thinking about germs, but but I think it can also be often there's no logical connection. Like they need to do something in a particular way at home in order to stop a car accident happening. You know, totally disconnected and illogical, but yet the young person can't quite shift that intrusive thought and worry. Is that is that am I getting that about right? Totally, uh, and that's what keeps it going. Because they, what they're doing actually isn't making a difference. It really is about them trying to challenge the thought in some way and reduce that anxiety. So it's both, you know, they're trying to avert some kind of tragedy, but equally they're trying to reduce, they're, they're trying to take some responsibility that they're doing something to, uh, to help them feel better about themselves. Another example might be um, checking. This is, this is one that's very common where they, you know, uh, might check a door we, I mean that's really common for all of us I mean how many of us have walked out of the house and thought five minutes down the road oh did I lock that door <laughs> and this is really interesting because just the way the brain works by itself uh, generally people, people young people who don't have OCD will go okay maybe I didn't lock it my mum will kill me if somebody breaks in but sure you know I need to get to school and she'll understand that um, but young person with the OCD no they take complete responsibility for the door and then they might uh, they, they might check and check and check. And the difficulty with the checking is if you're going to check something more than once, 
you're basically telling your brain that you you're not trusting it uh, and there's been experiments done where um you the more you check the the less confident you are in your actual memory so these kind of things can add and feed into these these intrusive thoughts yeah i'm struck by a couple of themes coming out there Stephen. one one theme is about responsibility and feeling a, a real burden of responsibility over other people and their safety and their well-being and, and another one is about maybe a sense of powerlessness in a young person struggling with OCD with these worries that something really bad could happen and they're they're, they're seeking to do something to reduce the risk of it. It, it I think that helps us understand how this is so so tricky for a young person yeah talking about checking I, I was working with a young boy recently and um, the 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 start of this for him was there was a lot going on in his life there was a there was a change of schools there was a, there was a house move there was a lot of uncertainty about for this wee boy and um he was leaving the house with his mum one day and he had the thought somebody could break into the house here and actually take my things uh, and it was as simple a thought as that but these things would have been he saw his things as being part of the old house it was part of his history it was part of him so it meant a lot to him and as he was leaving him now the wee boy was about what 12 13 something so he was very young but he he turned and he says to his mum he checked the door and then he turned to his mum and he says is this door is the door actually shut locked you know is it shut and his mum says yes it is but then he checked again and then he checked again but at that point he took responsibility for that door being shut because it had meant so much to him, you know, the, 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 the possessions that he had in the house were so important to him that he didn't want to lose them. And mum would have no idea that that was the start of his OCD. Thanks, Stephen. And, and you're given an example there of where someone's OCD started, the very beginnings of it. Um, do you want to say a little bit more about that, um, about what it could look like when OCD is... is is developing in a young person what might a parent notice how can it begin to take take hold i think it's often very difficult for a parent to notice ocd taking hold um because it is it does start with the thoughts and young people uh, in the beginnings of ocd are i mean it will surprise them because these thoughts can be ridiculous they can be sounding crazy and their initial thinking will they'll not want to share it so we've talked a little bit about intrusive thoughts but let me just sort of like clarify that a little bit more so intrusive thoughts we've said are these kind of thoughts that pop into our head they're often unwanted they're bad thoughts they can be catastrophic thoughts so the example might be um two young people stand uh, on a train station and they both have the same thought and the same intrusive thought is something like yeah it might be something like yeah i'm gonna push this old lady in front of a train now that sounds mad and ridiculous and even scary that you might have that thought but we all have the potential to have that thought um a young person who doesn't have ocd will be able to let go of that thought fairly quickly they'll go mm, they might say to themselves oh that was a bit strange it was a bit weird um ha 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 some you know and then quickly move on a young person with ocd will have that thought and it'll become quite unnerving for them. And the difference is, is that they'll start to try, they'll start to give it some kind of meaning. 
for themselves. And they might say something like, why did I have that thought? I'm not a bad person. And then they would question themselves because, again, they start checking about the thought and they start thinking about it and giving it a wee bit more sort of legs. You know, why did I have that? You know, am I dangerous? Am I potentially a murderer? And it becomes something something much more than just an intrusive thought that actually then becomes something that's they sort of hold on to and really want to hold on to so they can get rid of, uh, if that even makes sense. So that would be like how OCD would take hold of a young person. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And I suppose you're pointing out there, it can start really quite small and and then someone can take hold of something and, and worry about it and hold on to it because there may be, I don't know if this is fair, Stephen, but maybe a bit more conscientious, a bit more likely to, to want everything just right in terms of their temperament. Do you think that's a fair comment from your experience of meeting lots of young people with OCD? Absolutely, and I'm sure that's your experience as well, James. Mm. I find the young people with OCD the most lovely, kind, gentlest people in the yes. whole world. Yes. And these thoughts are just so... Uh, goes totally against their grain. It goes totally against what they believe about themselves, how other people view them. And I do think that that's probably part of why these things keep, take hold, because it's just so wildly not them. And I suppose that also then can make a parent more shocked and, and might even make a parent risk dismissing it a bit of saying, well, why on earth would you ever use drugs or kill someone or harm someone? I mean, that's just yeah. not even possible. You're not even a, a, an aggressive person at all. And 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 perhaps that even makes a young person keep it a bit secret for longer because I, I think you're saying in, in amongst all this, it can be quite hidden. And I think even when you and I have talked about this before, you've mentioned about shame around OCD symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, e- even take someone like me who's maybe not as gentle and kind as the young people I work with. I, I didn't want to say, <laughs> but... <laughs> but, I mean, if I had the thought that I could push an old lady in front of a train and I thought, mm, I mean, do I really have that thought? And I couldn't let go of that thought. I would not want to share that. And particularly as when I think back to my days as a peer, and parents can do this when you're around your peers at that age, like your teenagers, teenage years. I mean, if you said something like that to one of your friends, they, they would definitely think you're mad. Or, or if they didn't think you were mad, they'd probably think, are you potentially a murderer? So I would not want to share that with anybody. Hmm. And, and the word stigma comes to mind here, that sense of... yeah. This is embarrassing or difficult. And and I suppose then if OCD is kept secret and hidden in a young person in the dark, so to speak, it, it can can give it space to grow. Would that be fair enough? Absolutely. And, and I think parents probably inadvertently are doing things. These young people will come and they'll be seeking reassurance and you'll not be kind of knowing why they're seeking reassurance. Um, they might just, they might just, one day say you know is that clean can i touch that or can i eat that is that is there anything in that that's you know maybe harmful or something they might not say it in them words but that kind of jest and the parents not going to be thinking anything about that you know Mm. they're just going i'll get it into you i spent half an hour cooking that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but really this is actually the ocd the the intrusive thought has actually taken hold yeah um and and the parents will be unwillingly be participating in the part of those rituals uh, yeah. through reassurance 
Okay, and I know we're going to come on to that in a wee minute about how, how best a parent can respond, but I think what you're saying there is helpful for a parent listening because if they've heard about their young person's OCD, if the young person's plucked up the courage to tell them about it, actually, in a way, that's a good thing because they've been able to break through that secretiveness, that embarrassment, uh, to put it into words. So almost the... The first reaction might be well done for for telling me because um because that was tough to do yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so then if we've a parent listening and they've just found out about ocd problems for the young person what do they do well the first thing that a parent could do once it comes to their attention and generally by the time it comes to their attention the ocd is already kind of developed but once the the parent is uh, kind of observes it, and they'd probably be the one who will observe it, as opposed to the child coming to them, um, through their behaviours, they'll observe some, you know, the, the the sort of rituals. The first thing that you would want to do is sit with the child, um, and and discuss about getting some support for the OCD, some professional support like ourselves, three cans. And just in terms of the route to do that, Stephen, we're thinking that'd be something to get in touch with the GP about and, and seek an onward referral to, to CAMS, to an adolescent mental health service, isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just make a comment on that in terms of thresholds. And, and, and at times people might think, well, would it get a referral on to specialist services? I think we, we can be quite clear that if someone's really struggling with OCD, it's really getting in the way of their life, affecting them day to day, affecting their functioning, that's definitely the sort of referral we, we, we want to be getting and the sort of young person we want to want to meet. And, and just on the point about CAMS, uh, Stephen, a parent might be listening to this saying, OK, well, my child's getting referred to CAMS, China Adolescent Mental Health Service for OCD. What are CAMS going to do with them? Do you want to say a wee bit about that? What would be the way in which we would help a young person uh, who's come into our service with, with um, very debilitating OCD? So when a child comes to, to myself uh, or comes in through the CAMS, um, the first approach, the first line of approach will be the, the talking therapy. That's always the, I think that's probably the most important because the child and the parent need to, have, to understand what it is is actually happening. Often I find parents coming in very confused um, and the reason why they're confused is because they're going, well, did we do something here? Did we miss something? Is this my fault? And parents generally will blame themselves when their child is in distress, thinking, could we have done something here? Or, uh, is this my fault? So clarifying what OCD is, no matter what your background is, no matter you know what difficulties or non-difficulties you've had in, in your past, it makes it, for me, it's irrelevant. Young people with who develop OCD, uh, are just susceptible, more susceptible to these, uh, believing these intrusive thoughts and finding meaning in these intrusive thoughts than others. And it's as simple as that. So the first thing would be to find get an understanding of OCD and to understand that the central theme of OCD is around these intrusive thoughts. The second line then would be if, we, if, if we're getting it and we start talking about the therapy and we start going through the process of therapy, if we felt that we weren't making that, a bigger progress then we would be considering the likes of yourself James getting involved in relation to medication so a lot there about trying to understand the problem trying to help the family see and understand what OCD is and then yeah. really quite 
detailed work on on strategies around that i know with your background as a cognitive behavior therapist cbt and then of course medication can have a role as well now i guess for me Stephen, we're getting on to what i think is the most interesting and challenging part of this podcast and this conversation uh yeah hold on to your hat uh it's the bit that you and i talk about a lot it's what Mm. does a parent actually do at home when the rituals are going on and parents i know have asked us that uh, and it can be a long and complicated discussion and it can be a bit different for every family so it's not totally that one size fits all but parents have asked yeah. us things like right my child is doing uh, an hour and a half of rituals at bedtime do I stop them you know do I tell them don't do that do I give them consequences for doing it uh, and then in the other direction parents can ask us um, what to do if they're getting sucked into the rituals so maybe a parent has something that um they need to say certain things in a scripted way before a child can go up the stairs or go to bed or they need to spend an hour going backward and forward saying particular things and if they don't do it exactly right they have to start over again and so on and so on to the point that it really affects the whole family so uh, ultra yeah. tough question Stephen what does a parent do do they get sucked in to rituals do they argue about them what do they do <laughs> well, when you put it like that, that's a really difficult question. Yes. Well, I think that's why the talking therapy is, is really essential because there needs to be a mutual understanding of what OCD is. So that's the first thing. Uh, they need to understand the concerns that the child has, what the thought would be around. So, I mean, just take anybody like yourself or me, and we had the concern that if I don't do, if I don't wash... Uh, my hands a certain number of times that I could potentially kill somebody who I love I mean I'm just not going to accept you coming to me and saying yeah don't do that but I think if there's a mutual understanding between the child and the parents about what is actually going on and and you develop that empathy and that understanding I think that's going to help the child and make the child more willing because the, the parents are going to probably take some of that responsibility off the child just through understanding it and then I think it's about well what can we do to best help you while we go through the pre-process of therapy because there's no quick fix here although to be fair there's been some cases where it's been a couple of sessions and you do make really big breakthroughs but generally there's a whole process that we have to go through but so we simple things uh, that a parent can take control of uh, is often one of the things is again if we go back to the hand washing for example um is getting soap, which is less harmful to their hands. Uh, probably a second part to the, the, the sort of mutual understanding is about the, the, the sense of responsibility and blame. Um, we've talked about parents here blaming themselves. Uh, once there's an understanding about OCD, this is about intrusive thoughts. It can happen to anybody. Um, there's no known cause why it happens to these young people and why they develop, but other young people don't. Um, it's a bit like... Young, some people smoke, some people don't. Young people don't go on and smoke. Um, there's no real known cause for why it, why it happens. And I, th- I find that when I'm talking to parents and they understand that it's not down to them, they're not to blame, then they're able to take that little step back and give that kind of a, like a, more, like a, a more needed support. And then because it, it opens up more discussions about how can you manage certain things. So, for example, like if a young child's maybe using soap and they're constantly using the soap, I can, once there's a mutual agreement there, you're, you've got a better chance of agreeing maybe not to use the soap as many times because there's a mutual understanding. You can negotiate certain things a little bit better. 
but there needs to be that mutual understanding before you really start to get to that place okay yeah i think uh, i'm struck a lot by what you're saying there about understanding the distress and empathy because i reckon some parents at the very start of this if they see a bit of rituals developing they might just say something like a throwaway comment like oh don't be silly you don't need to do that Uh, and i guess a few times or initially that might be how many parents might respond but i think we're saying here if it's getting bigger and it's getting a problem it needs empathy it needs understanding and a theme you've put the whole way through this Stephen, very helpfully is just how hard this is this is huge levels of distress for many young people um and i think you're as well talking about open communication that we we need um the young people to be able to share more and more details of this with the parent do you, would you want to say anything more Stephen, about um is it fair enough to try and put some boundaries around this to not let it grow and grow and, and i think you're encouraging and saying that it is okay to put boundaries around it but would you agree with that we're trying not to let this get bigger and bigger and take over more of life yeah yeah but that has to be in a kind of a, a, in a joint way okay a, based on a mutual understanding so one of the things that that we find helpful and parents find helpful is they go how, how do i not reassure them that there's nothing bad going to happen how do mm. i reassure them there's nothing they're they're not going to there's nothing there's no germs in their dinner or whatever it is um and we because they've gone through the some of the process of therapy and the understanding is that the issue is around these intrusive thoughts um the parents are able then to say okay now is this about germs being in the dinner or is this about your thoughts and about the how you know about you believing the thought that there's something in your dinner so you're kind of taking it right back to this isn't about the germs in the dinner this is about your thoughts and you believe in this thought which isn't actually factual and it's not based on any facts that anything harmful will happen and just on that point um do you think it's helpful sometimes for a parent to enter a bit of a logical debate you know to say well you think that there's poison in the bag of crisps or whatever uh, let's think about that how could that have happened what would be the evidence to say that there is or there isn't you know to try and get into a bit of a debate almost like a legal challenge about it do you think that's helpful or do you think that's better to take a step back and, and look at it more like this is ocd and what, what, what what's your thoughts on that Stephen? no because the thing about ocd and it's really interesting james it's one of those cases where the child will already know that Okay. But it doesn't change it for them because there's a, as much as I would love to say, you know, once you do that kind of debate and CBT, you know, the cognitive part, let's do that debate, let's legal, you know, let's do the, 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 the pros and cons, the evidence for and against and all that sort of thing. And that the OCD will just go away, but that is not the case because what you're left with is this feeling, which is, yeah, I kind of know that. But I still feel there's something in the dinner. Okay. And I still feel there's a wee bit of poison somewhere and there could be something that could be harmful, could happen. And I don't want to lose you. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's helpful, Stephen, because I think we're saying there, the young person already kind of knows that in a sense there isn't poison. This isn't a delusion. This isn't a false belief. It it can almost get as strong as that at times, but it's an understanding. I, I know there kind of isn't, but I can't stop my mind thinking about it um so that's really useful so so i think you're saying there it's a good idea for the parent maybe to to focus on the ocd and say i think this is your ocd talking and 
Uh, I wonder what sort of other things, using that example, what, what could a parent say if the child's worried, there's poison in my crisps, I'm not eating them, but they know there isn't? What, what sort of things could they say? Well, I mean, there's there's other things. I mean, there's 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 practical things that they could do, depending on the age of the child of as course, well. Yeah. Uh, part, part of the therapy for the older ones, I would be getting them to write down their fears. I'd be getting them to sit with it. Because one of the things is when you try not to think about something, um, like if you say, right, don't be silly, don't think about it, mm-hmm. just go away mm-hmm. and do something else. So one of the experiments that I would do in session is, okay, so, and I do it with the parent as well. Okay, let's sit down and let's try and not think about a pink elephant for a minute. And invariably, you know, you're going to think nothing else but about a pink elephant. Mm -hmm. So telling the child not to think about that and don't be silly is they're going to go, okay, I'll try and push that to the back of my mind. Remember, the difference here is, is that two young people are standing in the train station and the the first child can let go of the thought very, very easily. The second child doesn't let go of the thought. They try to push it to the back of their mind. They try and go, no, I don't want to be thinking that. And these are the kind of things that backfire on them and makes it even more believable. And so telling a child not to think about something or go away sometimes is, is it's not helpful. But in session and in, in therapy, I would be I would be saying to parents at this stage when we're going through the session, if they come to you about something... Uh, and they're willing to, and we make an agreement that the, the child and the parent are willing to work on this, then one of the strategies would be, right, go and write that thought out and and, and write it until it, it doesn't feel anxious anymore. Mm. And just on that, Stephen, I, I think we're saying that a part of OCD is really you know, doing the opposite of that, where, where a young person is trying to run away and neutralize the the worry and the thought where and, and that doesn't kind of work it keeps going and that's part of the reason why you're you're dra- drawing people towards sitting with it bearing it uh, yeah. and then yeah gradually with time at, at lessening sorry i interrupted you were going to carry on with something else no I, I mean not just just that i just think it's a very it's one that needs to be agreed with the parent and the child and you can really only really do that and go when you go through the process of therapy Mm. Uh, because it's gonna it raises the understanding on both parts. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the you, when the child sees the concern of the parent and the parents going, you know, I'm not gonna die. You know that that's not about reassurance. It's it's actually just reinforcing facts that no matter what you do, it isn't going to affect how it is for me. Um, just having that open discussion, young people feel relieved almost. Right, all oh, right, God, I can talk about this. It's all right. I'm not mad. I'm not crazy. Uh, there's something about that. The, the danger, I think, about asking a child is to distract themselves or, or go and do something else. Um, and I know that some people take that approach. My typically is with that is that's not going to go away. Mm. In fact, it's probably going to come back worse. So you really want to, through therapy, and only really through therapy, can you get to a place where you, the parent can be that supportive role, not rescuing the child, but actually just in a supportive role and going, okay, we need to sit down and we need to look at this thought that you're going through and I'm going to help you go through this. Does that make sense, James? That's very helpful. It does. Yeah, that's very helpful because I think we're saying we're wanting to position the parent kind of in the middle. They're not off at one extreme saying, look, ignore this, don't do it, just go away, this is silly. And and they're not at the other extreme getting totally sucked in, uh, entering three-hour debates about whether there's something in the crisps or not. They're, they're sitting somewhere in the middle of understanding it um, and being supportive. And I think that's really helpful. And a big me. part of this as well is is not doing it for the child. Yeah, as you say. So, for example, 
Say um, a good example, and I give this to the parents and the child. I say to because it's about feelings, isn't it? They feel they know in their head. No, I know there's nothing in there that's it's harmful, but it doesn't make the feeling go away. So we're kind of tackling the feeling in many ways with OCD, uh, because feelings aren't logical. You know, they just aren't. You know, they don't always have a logic to them. You feel something, you kind of go, "Why am I feeling that?" And I know that that's there's no germs in that. So what I try to do is, is I get them to try and understand, to tame those feelings and understand that they can manage these these uncomfortable feelings that n- and nothing bad's going to happen. So I would say, for example, let's say, I'll give the example, let's say you had a, a phobia or a fear of cats. Okay, James, so you've got a fear of cats. Uh, okay. And in your head you're kind of going, cats aren't scary. So I bring a cat into the room. So there's two things you can do. You can get up and run away. Or the other thing is you can do is you can sit with the cat. Okay, so then the analogy would be this. If you get up and run away, your anxiety is going to come down. The feeling of anxiety and the feeling, fear, the feeling of threat is going to go away. But the next time you see a cat, you're just going to run away again. Because you're never really changing and you're never really finding out that the cat actually isn't that dangerous. So mm-hmm. then I say to him, well, what would happen if you actually sat with the cat? And they go, oh, my anxiety would hit the roof. Yeah. But for how long? I mean, can you stay anxious that long? No, because you physically can't stay anxious. And the longer you stay with the cat, the, the feeling of anxiety will reduce. And then, and therefore, your your thoughts will also ease about the cat. Because you learn to and understand that the cat isn't that dangerous. And in fact, it's just a cat. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the OCD. You're getting them to understand that these are just thoughts. Um, and it's just thoughts. They're not actually facts. Yeah. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? It does. And I, and, and I really like what you said earlier in the answer there about saying they can manage this. Yeah. Because at, at, at the point in time, they, they think they can't. It's overwhelming. They need to do something to make it go away. And, and a goal of working with a young person is they can actually. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's a real Yeah, journey. it's just a cat. It's just a thought. And by asking them to... to, to but only again through the process of therapy will the child get to and the parent get to that point where they both have that mutual understanding that... The best cure is to sit with it and not to run away because it isn't actually that dangerous and it's not actually that threatening. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks, Stephen, for all of that. You, you've given us loads to think about right from the beginning of thinking about how difficult this can be for a young person, how distressing it can be um, through a, a, a lot of discussion there about how a parent can respond and and I think how tricky it is you know, to, to know how to how to respond and the value of seeking help as well. So thank you for all of that. And I wonder just in finishing, Stephen, if you've got one kind of takeaway message or one encouragement or, or one final point for any parent listening. And in relation to parents, I think the big thing that I always find in, in therapy is that the parents will always initially blame themselves. Um, and, um, and I just, my message to them is this is nobody's fault. It really isn't. Um, the second part of that is if you notice behaviours with your child and you notice there's maybe they're maybe avoiding you or they're going to the room and they're or you see some behaviours look a bit bizarre, they're not going crazy, they're not mad. Um, they're actually just, they're trying to avert something that's really distressing for them, which is their fear of losing you probably. And if there's any kids listening to this, I would want to tell them that they're not going mad. You're not going crazy. Please share, seek help. And um, that's it. Yeah. 
that's really helpful Stephen thank you for all your your advice and and, and thinking through that uh, today and thank you to you too our, our listeners we, we really appreciate you listening uh, we've embedded a short survey in the text of the podcast uh, on your podcast platform and we'd be really grateful if you're able to give us a bit of brief feedback and maybe even suggest some topics you might want us to address in future and we hope you find this podcast today helpful <laughs>